Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey everybody, Mark and Steve here. Uh, today we are going to be talking about conflict, all things conflict. Uh, Mark, you and I were talking about this earlier today, and you know, conflict is such an integral part of everything that we do in life, um, and that plays out in all sorts of different relationships. But um, as far as our our uh, discussion here, the last couple of uh, the last three, I believe, episodes of the podcast are concerned, it really applies to uh, betrayal trauma and how a couple can navigate the difficult components to that. And we're going to get into the specifics of how that works uh, in terms of steps uh, in our next episode. But today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how conflict and connection, how they interact with each other, how they work together, and kind of set the stage for how to really how we can really start to overcome the problems that we're facing, rather than, than uh, engaging in those toxic forms of conflict. So yeah, as you said, we're going to talk about conflict today. Why? <laughs> My brain is so wired to that concept of conflict, even after all these years of being in recovery and, and trying to practice what I teach and preach in my own counseling work. As soon as you say the word conflict, I feel a part of me just goes, conflict, what? No, 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 no. Conflict is bad. I don't want to talk about conflict. And it's yeah. just interesting how even after all this time, that is still a trigger inside of me. Conflict is to be avoided at all costs. Yes. And boy, did I learn that as a kid. Totally. Well, and, there, and, the, and there's lots of different origins for that, right? But I mean, for me, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I tell my clients somewhat jokingly all the time, I'm a bit of a sadomasochist. I really like to, <laughs> I really enjoy conflict in a lot of ways because it's where good therapy happens oftentimes. But even so, it's not like my default speed. It's very, very much something I had to learn through, through years. And like you, even though uh, I am much more comfortable with it, there is kind of that little bit like, 
you know, that comes up <laughs> when you, when you bring it up, that kind of a feeling. And, uh, and, and I think all of us carry that to some degree, you know, it's, it's human nature either because of things that happened to us when we were kids, or maybe it's our culture of origin. Uh, it's, it's natural, I think, to fear conflict. Um, however, in my, in my counseling work and in my other relationships and uh, through my own therapy, I have, I have learned that for most of the people that I work with, most people actually don't fear conflict itself. I don't know if you've experienced this, Mark, but I, when I work with clients, um, it isn't so much the conflict that they tend to avoid, be it in their marriage or the conflict within themselves, but rather they're, look, they're trying to avoid the negative fallout from it, right? When addicts are trying to, trying to, addicts will try to avoid their inner conflict, those feelings and things that they don't like about themselves, which results in them numbing out, right? It's a form of avoidance. Uh, we tend to avoid, uh, so there's the internal side of it in relationships, right? Like with a spouse, uh, it's not so much the fact that we, we are, are in conflict with our spouse that is problematic. It's that our brain has this big, long history of all the ways in which conflict has been really negative in the past. And so it just reinforces this idea uh, that's been growing inside of me that, uh, that, that, that speaks to, you know, conflict itself isn't the problem. It's, it's all the ways in which we've gone about it that's become problematic. Yeah, in essence, we don't like the way conflict feels. Mm -hmm. And if you start to talk about emotions, I, like, I think of emotions as energy in motion. And where do emotions come from? Emotions always follow thought. So something happens around me or inside of me in my environment, internal or external. And immediately when I'm having that experience, my brain asks, well, what does that mean? Having this experience right now, what does it mean? Mm. The only way the brain knows what something means is to feed that experience through its database, its memory banks. Mm. And boy, when you get into any kind of a situation, especially in a relationship like marriage, and you have the first inkling that there's disagreement, that there's contention, that there's conflict, and you're butting up against each other, your brain immediately takes that data and says, ooh, what do I know about in my past that's like this situation? Mm -hmm. And yep. it calls up in its memory banks all those times as kids when we got into these situations of conflict, usually where we felt completely overpowered. It was probably with a parent. We're a little kid. They're a big adult. Conflict comes up and guess what? We lose every time. Mm, and so yeah. we, with teachers in school, with bigger, you know, bullying peers, and you get into that place of disagreement and there's a part of you that just wants to flee, fight or flee. Mm -hmm. And so every time we get into a potential scenario for conflict, just know that your brain is going to call upon those old memories. And once, once it filters that experience through those memories, now here comes the emotion. Here comes the energy in motion, the feeling as a result of my, having, my brain having interpreted what's happening. Mm. And so now I don't like the feeling. It's uncomfortable. I start to feel perhaps anger, fear doubt. I feel inadequate. I feel like I don't matter. I have to stick up for myself. That's a whole ton of emotions that flood in. And when you bring that to a relationship like marriage, and now there's some conflict, you're not going to, your brain's not going to like how it feels based on your past experience. Mm, no, it's that's just, a great point. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, so it's really not conflict avoidance then, right? That most of us are experiencing, it's pain avoidance. Yes, right? pain, pain avoidance based on memories. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, there are there's so many sides to this. So we're going to kind of break this down for you guys today in, in a way that's going to make sense. And what, a lot of what we're going to talk about here, uh, I hope everybody that's, it, it, oh, well, no one will know, right? <laughs> but just speaking to the people who maybe tune in after this podcast, I hope they go back and listen to this episode because a lot of what we're going to do going forward on the podcast is going to reference back to some of this stuff today. But uh, why don't we go ahead and get started? We'll talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the rules for connection. Mark and I were talking about this earlier today. We've had really good conversations about this in the past. Um, and if we were to start with, with rule number one, and we've kind of touched on it, but just to expand on it, is that conflict itself isn't bad or good, right, inherently. It in and of itself is not something uh, that ought to be avoided. In fact, conflict is not only bad, but it should be expected and actually encouraged. Now, for the couples listening to this, I might I might sound like I'm, you know, having a having an aneurysm or something that may not make much <laughs> sense. But but uh, but I can tell you in my own marriage um, and through my own therapy and my own work, um, I have found this to be very much true. Uh, you can't, it, it isn't reasonable in, in my not so humble opinion to take two different people with two different backgrounds, two different cultures, two different genders and expect them to get along. Even, even the majority of the time, my wife and I, we routinely see things differently. There are definitely times where we agree and that, and that happens a fair amount of the time too, but very rarely are we just 100% on the same page in, on a given topic and there's no deviance. Um, conflict itself does not destroy a marriage. It's the way that we handle it that does. People don't leave marriage because of conflict. They leave because of the toxicity associated with it. Kind of what Mark was alluding to. Those negative feelings, we, 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 those, those histories and those way of doing conflict build within us and build and build. And they grow within the marriage. And eventually you, you do, you get to a toxic level where somebody just finally doesn't want to do it anymore. Um, so that would be that would be the first one. Yeah, so conflict isn't bad is is an important first rule. And then the second rule that we talk about <clears throat> is that there's a great difference between conflict and contention. Oh, yeah. If something's contentious, that's coming from a place where it's me against you. You're the enemy. I have to stick up for myself and protect myself and stand up for myself. Yes. Versus conflict, which is coming from a place of, we may not agree, but my intention coming into this is that I want to understand. I love it. I want to express where I'm coming from, but then I want to understand where you're coming from. And I like to call that collaborative conflict, which sounds like, it sounds like a, an oxymoron or a total contradiction. But if you think about it, it's really important to come from two different places, especially in a marriage relationship. You have your background. I have mine. We both have our way of seeing things. And really the math on that, if, I br if we bring both of those diverse backgrounds together and we have this conflict or differing of opinions, we're expanding our universe so much more if we're open to the fact that you don't see things the way I do. If I just always see things my way, how is that expansive? How am I ever going to develop uh, this growth and this, this expansion of my own potential and my own way of seeing things. And so, so how awesome is that, that you bring that perspective to the table along with mine? 
Mm-hmm. So, so conflict in that way is productive and collaborative contention where it's me versus you and I have to be all right and you have to be all wrong. So it all comes down to what's your intent. We can disagree, but what's my intent? And yeah. so there's a big difference between conflict and contention. I love that. So I'm curious, Mark, to kind of hear from you. So um, I'm sure you've had times and I know I have where uh, we, we've gone on in the past, right? Where conflict wasn't addressed. Um, what kind of things result from that? Um, you know, I, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on, on the impact of that and, and what happens when we, you know, hang on to it versus, versus dealing with it. Yeah, I can, I can relate that to my experience. So I grew up in a really contentious environment in my home mm. and in my neighborhood. I, I grew up in a, in a pretty rough place outside of L.A., and I learned that anything that has the slightest hint of conflict is to be avoided at all costs. So I developed this defense mechanism, right? As a kid, you, you, your brain develops ways of protecting itself and surviving. It's actually pretty amazing to see how incredible we are as kids at surviving and coping and self-soothing. And so my, my great coping mechanism in the, in the face of conflict is I became an escape artist. Mm-hmm. I would disappear. You know, the mm. conflict would start because of, where's Mark? I don't know. He was here a second <laughs> ago. And I would just take off. I want nothing to do with this. And so I brought that into my marriage relationship where my wife and I would start to have a little bit of a disagreement of opinions or, or butt heads a little, and I would just shut down. I would go silent and I would leave the room and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. The challenge with that is that we never had an opportunity to really voice what was happening in the relationship. You Mm -hmm. shut it down, you go silent, and you refuse to talk about it. The challenge with that is it's not going to simply go away. I like to say that these negative emotions, this energy in motion that's inside of us, it is always going to find a way to be expressed. You can't just, well, if I ignore it and put it on a shelf, it'll just disappear. And a lot of us, a lot of guys tend to think that. We have these brains that like to compartmentalize things and put them in little boxes. I'm just not going to mm-hmm. deal with that. I'm just going to put it in a box, stick it on a shelf, and it just doesn't have to be dealt with. Sure. Except it does. And it will find a way to be expressed. And a lot of times for me, uh, until I learned how to be expressive and deal with the conflict, and I would just shut it down, it started to affect my health. I started to develop anxiety and depression. I started to have heart palpitations. It's so in some, mm. with some people, if you don't express it, it will start to express itself with health problems. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we start to get passive aggressive. So we don't speak our mind when the person's right there in front of us. And instead, later, we go about gossiping and, and backstabbing and going through all these opportunities to express ourselves, except in the moment because there's conflict and I don't like conflict. So I'm going to avoid it. And that stuff just builds up over time. And pretty soon you're like, what happened to the relationship? Why are we, why are we at each other's throats? Why do we not talk? Why are things so toxic? Because you've been avoiding the opportunities to express and understand you run from them. You go silent so there's never a chance for growth or discussion or moving forward. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. You know, as you're sitting here and uh, as I'm sitting here listening to you talk, I, the thing that that comes to mind for me as we're having this conversation is I, my wife and I, we're going to, uh, we're going to Europe hopefully this year at some point in time. And uh, the thing that I'm, one of the things I'm looking forward to the most is seeing Pompeii, right? Mm. The, uh, the aftermath of Vesuvius erupting, what was it, 2000 years ago or whatever. And whenever I have these discussions about conflict and how it becomes toxic and builds, that's kind of the, the visual that comes to mind for me, right? There's this pressure. When, you, when we avoid conflict, we avoid issues in, in a relationship, there's this pressure that begins to build, right? Some things we're able to let go of or just surrender or give away or it's, it's no big deal. But if it is something that for whatever reason resonates with you and is in, in a negative way, and is building and it's not something you're able to let go. If it goes unaddressed, all it does is just, it causes this building effect, right? And if you don't address that pressure, uh, you're going to lead to some sort of emotional eruption. That's what I hear you saying, right? If you can either, you can either find a way to deal with, with, uh, with your pain and with your frustrations and, and, and whatever it might be, or your brain will, will find a way to do it for you. And, um, and, you know, healthy connection among so many other things. It's that metaphorical pressure valve, right? That's constantly letting the steam out of the relationship. That's constantly keeping it in a balanced, healthy place without becoming blocked up and stopped. Um, so I, I love that. And, and really, um, it, it is just another form of avoidance, right? For you addicts out there, um, you know, we're all about avoidance, right? That's kind of been our go-to MO in different respects, using the addiction as just one of those ways. And this is a, probably the most popular common way in which avoidance manifests with most people, right? Is, is uh, you know, we, we, we try to stay away from conflict uh, for the sake of avoiding the emotional pain. Uh, but all that does is just feed those same lines of thinking. So we've talked about uh, conflict not being bad, and it should be something expected and even embraced. Talked about the differences between conflict versus contention. Uh, Mark kills it on that topic. Uh, talked about how it becomes toxic and the need to address it. Uh, last rule of connection that we're going to hit on here, and then we'll talk about some obstacles and other components uh, that, that surround a connection, is that it has very little to do with agreeing. Now, for most people, this is kind of a groundbreaking concept because in our, in our culture, I think kind of worldwide culture, we're all sort of hardwired to think on some base level. Uh, that connection has everything to do with agreement. It's all about figuring out the right or the wrong of a situation. And it's not to say that there isn't a place for the right and the wrong, because there definitely is. We kind of alluded to this a few weeks back on a previous episode. Um, but rather than agreement being the primary goal uh, in, in, in connection, uh, we want to be shooting for something different. If your goal uh, in connecting with your partner is to agree with them on everything, get ready to be disappointed because it's <laughs> going to be a long relationship, right? <laughs> um, it's going to be nothing but a problem um, because like we talked about before, that's, that's a frequent and something that should, should be something that occurs on a pretty regular basis. Um, if we do agree, that's awesome. It's a wonderful bonus. But where connection happens is through understanding, Right understanding your partner and them feeling understood by you. Um, if two people can go into a situation and, and have that experience where even though they may not agree with one another, uh, but they, 
but they're able to see where the other person's coming from. There's that mutual respect for one another. They meet, are able to meet together as equals without calling into question the other's competency. In other words, be a, a true team. Um, that those, those agreements, and I've had this experience with my wife, become real points of, of, actually, uh, of actually connecting. Um, you know, I think, uh, so real quick, two second story. So my wife, uh, came to me, uh, she's, she'd be fine with me telling the story. I'm, I'm thinking about this in real time. <laughs> you okay. sure about that? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I am. And if I'm not on the next podcast episode, you know why. <laughs> um, but, uh, so this actually just happened a couple of years ago. My wife came to me one day and said, uh, so I, I've been thinking about getting a tattoo. <laughs> what do you think about it? Now, my wife and I, we're, we're, not, we're definitely not prudes by any means. We're, we're, pretty, we're fairly liberal, liberal in our thinking, but we do come from a somewhat conservative background where tattoos are kind of a persona non grata type of deal. And it's not something that either one of us has ever had and had never really talked about before. So she, when she came up to me, just kind of blindsided me like with this, I was actually caught pretty off guard. Uh, thankfully, we were doing therapy at the time. And we just talked about something like this in therapy a couple of weeks prior. And so call, I'm calling it a higher power intervention, but something came into my head to help me to respond in a better way than I would have. Um, the old me would have, would have reacted to my fear in a really toxic way, right? I would have been thinking about all of these. I would have had a very fear-based response about, well, oh my gosh, my wife's wanting a tattoo. What does this mean about our marriage? Are we not on the same page, like spiritually anymore? Like, what? What is it? You know, what's the what's the issue? What's the problem? Um, are, are we going to make it? You know, I because I, our relationship was pretty fragile, admittedly. Well, not fragile, but we were in a kind of an earlier state of repair, and and so anyway, the old me would have done the following or something like it. I would have gone online, and I would have looked up every research study, every spiritual talk or discussion, every you know, article that I could find about all the reasons why tattoos were either wrong or bad or not good for you or whatever. And would have just printed all that stuff off, handed it to my wife and said, there you go. You shouldn't get a tattoo. It's wrong. And here are the reasons why. Read that and we can talk about it afterwards. That's probably (laughs) how I would have responded. And uh, thankfully, I didn't uh, respond that way. Uh, again, I, I didn't get pulled into that. It's about right or wrong. I was actually just able to pause and just tell her, you know, to be honest with you, if I think about it, I, I tried to get vulnerable. I just said, I, you know, you saying that does bring up a little bit of fear for me about what that might mean for us or our relationship. But I got to tell you, I mean, I, I, you know, this and this goes back to our boundaries from last week, right? Our boundaries discussion. Um, I got to tell you, you getting a tattoo doesn't really violate any core boundaries of mine. Um, and so if you really want to do that, I mean, if that's something that you're wanting to do, I, again, I can't think of anything I'd want to stick on my body forever, but if you really can, and there's something out there that you'd like to, let's go to the store. I'll help you pick one out. Like I'm fine with that. You know, we'll make it one that you like and make it a good thing. Now, my wife never ended up getting the tattoo. Um, I'm not for, 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 that's a story for another time, but um, but the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, when we, it is possible for us to come together either with our spouses or with coworkers or whoever it might be and be able to take really difficult, scary subjects. And if we're willing to listen and hear each other, be able to walk away with a really positive connection and you don't need agreement 
to be able to have that. Hey everybody, Mark and Steve here. Are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level? We work with individuals and couples one-on-one. With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Yeah, if we if we make the assumption that we're not connecting unless we're agreeing, the challenge with that is that it, in my experience, creates one of two scenarios. If agreement is the ultimate goal, and that it must happen at all costs, then typically one person ends up being the dominator, mm-hmm. right? Dominating, yep. I'm the one that's right, my vantage point is the best one, and then the other ends up being the doormat. Yes. It always goes along, goes along to get along. And you'll typically find that it falls into those, those two roles. And when that happens, you really have left the realm of connection. Yes. And I found that in my experience in my early years, as I was going through recovery, I had a really tough time because again, I said, when conflict would come up, I would go silent. And in silence, you can't have communication, obviously. So what I found is if you can come at the disagreement, the conflict with the intention that you're both, you, bo- you have each other's back. Mm-hmm. The most important thing for us is this relationship. We are willing to do whatever it takes to, to cooperate and go for the same goal together and to be as unified as we can. And if that means coming, coming at this with some conflict and disagreement, that's fine as long as I know you've got me and, and I've got you. Mm-hmm. Even if we get upset, even if some anger comes into it, even if we clash, you know, we, we bash heads a little bit, I know you've got my back and you know that about me. And that intention in my experience is everything. You can get through it if you know that. Yeah, no, I'm, oh, geez, I, I just love, I love everything that you're saying. I mean, being able to, to be there for each other um, in that way and learning how to do that. I mean, it's such a skill set, right? As, as you guys are probably noticing as you're listening to this, I mean, we are not wired to do this by nature, most no. of us. This is not, <laughs> you know, we have all these things that get in the way. We're going to talk, Mark's going to talk a little bit about obstacles of connection here in just a second, but we do, we have all these things that get in the way of connection, uh, you know, a lot of those are, are, are ego driven and um, it's really easy to get off track. One, because it's human nature, but two, because that's how most of us have done it our whole lives. And you know, something that came up for me, Mark, I was, you're, you're uh, what you were just sharing, uh, totally brought back a discussion I had with a client just a couple of days ago. You know, when you're, when you're seeking agreement between the both of you, it becomes a you versus them scenario. If the goal is for me and my wife to be on the same page with something, by nature, we are going to be at odds 90% of the time because we're not going to see this, this situation exactly the same 90% of the time. But when you make it about understanding one another, what you do is you place the conflict in the context that it's supposed to be in. It becomes you and, and you, meaning you and your partner, versus the issue. 
rather than one another becoming the other person's issue rather than the other one. It's an obstacle, obstacle that we can overcome together, right? We're working on this problem together as a team. We're going to take this thing down together uh, because we love each other and because we, we want to better our lives and one another, another's lives as opposed to my partner's in the way. My partner's standing in the way of my happiness and my partner's standing in the way of my serenity. My partner's standing in the way of fill in the blank with whatever. Um, so I, I appreciate you appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think we're going to move if it's okay. Uh, and Mark, if you've got any other thoughts, feel free to share. But we'll uh, we'll move here into obstacles of connection next. Yeah, I <clears throat> I love what you said. You know, if it's all about agreement, then in order for in order for this to be successful in a relationship, all you have to do is agree with me. If mm-hmm. if you'll disagree with me, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and that's that's part of the challenge. And so that really gets us into this place of obstacles uh of connection. And one of the things to understand is when we come to when we come to an inner an interchange to a a conflict, a discussion, a disagreement as a couple, you have to understand that you're bringing your individual personality to that interchange. Mhm. And what I like, we like to call it, we, we call it the ego. And it's it really, the ego for me is the survival part of the human brain. It's mm. the part of me that's designed to keep me alive at all costs. And so it's, it's always vigilant. It's always looking, okay, what's going on in my environment? Are there any threats? What do I have to do to take, take care of myself, avoid pain, feel good, be happy? It's very self-centered and it has to be by its very nature. If you didn't have an ego, if I didn't have an ego, we probably wouldn't be alive sitting in front of these microphones. We would have stepped in front of a a semi-truck with no care or concern (laughs) decades ago. (laughs) So it's what keeps us, it's what keeps us alive and and protects us. It's Mm. self-protection. But when you bring that ego to a relationship, now is that's when you run into the problems. So my ego in a, in a time of conflict is going to naturally, from its survival standpoint, go to a couple of places. It'll go to pride, mm-hmm. which means I have to be 100% right in this situation mm. in order to protect myself. Now, it's not so much about being 100% right. It's the fact that I, there's a part of me that's afraid that maybe I'm not right. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not right, then I don't measure up. I'm not worthy. I'm not smart. I'm not valued. So the way to protect myself against those fears is that I just need to be 100% right. Yes. We call yes. that pride, but it's really just self-protection. The opposite of that in one of these scenarios is that I come from a place of shame. Oh, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm 100% wrong. I'm a, I'm, I'm a loser. I, I My opinion's never valued. I may as well just shut up and just let him or her dominate me because I'm just, I, I'm just not one of the good ones. And nobody can tell me any differently. Then no one can tell me any differently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's this place of shame. And again, that is a protection because if I just take the, the, the standpoint that I don't matter and my opinion is worthless, then when I'm confronted and argued with and disagreed with, I can avoid the pain of that because I don't matter. Mm. That's another defense, ego defense mechanism. So there's lots of them. Fear, if I go to a place of fear, then that allows me to protect myself again. 
if I blame others, well, I'm going to blame you for everything that I'm feeling right now, because if I confront it uh, from my standpoint, then that's just too painful. It's not about me. It's about you. So it's all your fault. That just prevents me from looking at my own stuff. And that again is a, is a protection mechanism. So one of my favorites as we talk about ego defense mechanisms is this thing called gaslighting. And it comes from a movie, I think it was 1944, this movie was made. And in the movie, this a husband decides that in order to, I think, acquire his wife's wealth or mm-hmm. some, some hidden gems or something, he decides to make her think she's crazy. Mm. And the way it, to call into question her mental stability. And so the way he does it is it takes place back in, I think it's the early 1900s where homes were lit by gas lighting. You have, mm. the, you have the gas flames that all the lighting around the house. It wasn't electric. So he would go into the basement periodically at odd times and he would flicker the gas lights, flicker them on, on and off. Like there's this haunting going on. And then later he'd go upstairs and his wife would say, the, the lights are flickering. Do you see? He's like, well, sweetheart, there, no, I've been up here the whole time. There were no lights flickering. There's, huh. do you, are you okay? And so he would periodically do this and just add to it and add to it until this woman felt like she was going nuts. So that's where that comes from? That's where Gaslighting comes from was that 1944 movie called Gosh, Gaslight. That's, em- that's embarrassing. I use that phrase like a thousand times a day and I <laughs> never even knew where it came from. <laughs> So as I look back on my addiction years, I did a little bit of this. Sometimes when I feel I felt like my wife was getting too close to discovering some of the behaviors, the secret behaviors I was involved with, I would use a little bit of gaslighting technique mm-hmm. to make her doubt her her intuition. Uh, well, you know, what were you doing at work late? Or I noticed that you got up last night and went downstairs. What what were you doing? And so you use all of these diversion techniques and you, you get them to doubt themselves and where they question their thinking, their impressions, their intuition. And I've worked with a lot of clients over the years where I've had guys who were master gaslighters, mm-hmm. where when it's all said and done, the wife is like, I really don't, I think I'm going completely crazy. Yes. I doubt everything now. I don't know what's, what's right, what's true, what's not. And so this, that is a, it's an insidious tactic, quite frankly. Yes. yes. And, but it's one, again, that we use as an ego defense mechanism to keep people from seeing the truth, to keep people from getting to what's really going on, because mm-hmm. I fear that if you really find out and you expose me, oh my gosh, my reputation's over, our marriage is over, my life is over. So again, it's, it's to protect, it's a protection strategy, albeit a very destructive one. So we could, I could go on a, a ton about all that, but um, uh, Steve's going to talk in a second about an assignment to start looking at a lot of these uh, ego defense mechanisms. But in essence, the place where we see this really start to deepen and become pretty severe is when we have traumas in our past. If I have past pain, especially as a kid, as a teen, and in order to soothe that pain and protect myself from further pain, I use a lot of, we learn to use a lot of these strategies. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we're weak or flawed or evil or worthless. It just means that we were survivors. Yeah. And you just simply learned how to protect yourself, how to put up walls and use strategies and tactics. And 
that worked in some sense as a kid. It helped us to get through those, those times. But when we carry those things into our adulthood, we're, we're taking child strategies, old strategies that served us back then. And now we're bringing, in, bringing them into our important relationships. And quite frankly, they don't serve us any longer. And we, we, try, we need to try to get to the place where we ask, am I ready to grow beyond this? Am I ready to really look it in the face and start confronting all of these little survival strategies I've used and start moving through and beyond them? And so that leads into our assignment yeah. uh, for this podcast to start being willing to do that. Yeah. Well, I, and I, yeah, first, first of all, thank you for educating me on the uh, <laughs> gaslighting origins definition. <laughs> I did not know that. Uh, that's pretty cool. But, uh, but kind of as a, yeah, just as a sidebar to that, before we jump into the assignment, I, you know, all, all of these ego defense mechanisms that we're going to have posted on, on pbsc.podcast.com are, uh, are, are all, you know, by their very nature, insidious, deceptive, you know, manipulative, but I would say gaslighting is a kind of a double prize sort of a scenario in a negative way where not only are we deflecting away from the actual issues, but we, that is when we call into question our own spouse's either character or, or sanity. And, and there really is an additional damaging effect with that. So needless to say, um, if you were to triage this, that would be definitely the first place to start, I think, in terms of, uh, in terms of mitigating those. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was just saying when we gaslight, because we're, we're just trying to protect ourselves at all costs, that's really where we take our spouse and we throw them under the bus. Absolutely. Because their, we're, their whole well-being, their, their mental stability, their confidence in themselves, is just all thrashed. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, we're there willing and ready to do that simply because we're trying to protect our own egos. Well, Mark, and I'm so glad I never did that. I'm glad that you were the only one between the two of us that ever. <laughs> I joke about it now, but I have uh, been plenty of guilty, plenty guilty of that also. All right, well, we'll move into the assignment here. Uh, so this is, you know, as, as you guys know, we encourage you to go back and listen to uh, past podcast episodes because these assignments do tend to build on one another uh, to some degree, and that is definitely the case here. Um, and this is also going to prep you for next week's episode. Uh, so we're... Uh, the assignment that we're going to give you, you guys are already journaling. We have you each journaling at least five minutes a day. I uh, want you to take that journaling and individually take some of that time and identify, use that list that we've got it of uh, defense mechanisms at pbscpodcast.com. And we want, to, want you to take and identify the top three for each of you that you tend to use in the marriage. And I'm not just talking about this recovery process. We're talking more about kind of a globally within the relationship. Uh, because everybody has these. It isn't just the addict and it isn't just the partner. Uh, one of the beauties of recovery is that as you fix issues related directly to recovery from sexual addiction, by nature, you are also fixing you know, the underlying issues that also contribute to other areas that are problematic in the marriage. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. So in, in that light, uh, we want to kind of globalize that out a little bit. And again, you can find all that stuff as well as more information on us and, and everything else, all, all things Mark and Steve at pbscpodcast.com. And uh, we will take that and we will use that next week as we talk about uh, next week's episode, which is going to be how to battle through the trauma together as a couple. And by the way, that list of ego defense mechanisms, you'll find that on our resources tab on the pbscpodcast.com site. So go to the resources tab and open it up and then you'll see that list of ego defense mechanisms that you can look down in order to choose the three 
<clears throat> that you're finding that you're using in the marriage and you can start to journal about those. And didn't we also, Steve, talk about the fact that once individually they've identified three ego defense strategies they use to then share with their partner about that? Yes. Thank you. I completely <laughs> forgot to mention that. So yeah, take some time with the journaling. See, this is, this is why Mark is here. Fill in all of my gaps and uh, do his own thing as well. So I, uh, there are many. Um, yeah, you're going to want to take those, take the first, I guess I'd say first half of the week, right, Mark? And, and you know, journal about those individually. And then take these into, the, these translate, like Mark said, into the check-ins process that we've talked about, right? Bring those to, this is a great, check-ins are a great forum where you can start uh, going through these and talking about them. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of discussion that happened with that down the road. But the first step to, to uh, you know, being able to beat these things is to just make sure they're out in the open and that everybody's kind of cognizant of what they are. So, yeah, awesome. Sounds great. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.